Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that continues every single day to celebrate the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such an amazing place. And Mississippi, for that matter. <clears throat> that especially applies today because we have uh, the lieutenant governor for the state of Mississippi. I'm not going to give you a bunch of speeches going into the show today. Let's just wel- welcome uh, the Honorable Delbert Hoseman to Coast View and say good morning. How are you doing, Delbert? I'm doing great, Ricky. I've, I've been worried about uh, the people on the coast of during the hurricane out and then also the COVID. And then uh, we put, we, uh, when we bought Cat Island, we re-nourished it with 250 feet of sand. I'm worried that's up on Highway 90 somewhere. So I've been worried about the coast a good bit, actually. Well, I, I don't blame you. You know, we, you, you're sort of, you, so you have big tentacles down in the coast of Mississippi. I know you love it down here. You, as, as uh, Secretary of State, your role with Tidelands and, and so on were really important. But, hey, what, let's, we're going to get, we're going to do, I want to do a little reflection on this past year. You came into office in January 2020. But before we do that, let's stick on the Hurricane Ida uh, topic for just a second and just simply say, I came to appreciate over the last couple of weeks, or cer- certainly the last week, that this whole notion of we dodged a bullet probably doesn't apply well because at the end of the day, if you got water in your house or you were involved in that tragic incident on Highway 26 in George County, you don't feel like you dodged anything. And I think one of our, one of the mayors I talked to last week, I talked to most of them last week, is, uh, is they said something like, uh, we dodged the brunt. And I think that's the way to say it because if if we would have been if we would have been uh, if we would have had taken the brunt of hurricane ida man so much of what we love would have been significantly challenged once again and i don't want to wish bad on anyone i i was the the president publisher of the times speaking in nola.com has so many friends in new orleans and the stories i'm hearing out of new orleans are unbelievably challenging but you know i do think we can as a general rule we can say our prayers today and Thank goodness that uh, we didn't take a direct hit. I, I, that's probably about where you are, isn't it? It is. I, I watched Burlington go under. Um, you know, we had two loss of lives and some very seriously injured people from the Highway 26 instance. I was talking to MDOT this morning earlier. Uh, and, and, of course, I'm very worried that we may have some other failure along that road or other road. And, and so we're asking them to check all of them as to why this occurred and is there a, a similar event possible somewhere else. But no, uh, you know, when you look at it, it's like the magnitude. This hurt a lot and it's going to cost us a lot of money. And we, we had disruption of a lot of things. We got cruising the coast coming, that kind of thing. But in the scheme of things, you're right. It, it wasn't the, the scale that we experienced with uh, the container operation, thank God. So yeah. um, I, I think everything is measured by, by Katrina. But it doesn't mean that we didn't lose a lot of money, that we have some, a lot of damage. Uh, we have flooding issues and, that, unfortunately, highway issues and a, and a loss of life. Yeah, I had Sean Tyndall on, uh, as you, you well know, Sean Tyndall, the public uh, safety commissioner for the state of Mississippi. But one of the things that he said is so com- coming out of the Highway 26 incident and other other situations where people drove into uh, uh, deep water and ended up having to be rescued, et cetera, is that in a time like this, even though the storm may have passed, if the rain is still here and the wind is still here, there are there are 
there are potential challenges lurking around every corner. And the thing that, that he said is that he just urges people in times like this is just simply slow down and be super aware of your environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's really good advice, don't you? I do. Um, you don't know when the tree's going to fall over. If you're riding down the road not paying attention, it may fall on you or your house or all the others. Yeah, it's weather awareness. I think we talk about that a lot. I think our people are better at it in Mississippi than they are otherwise because we've been burned before. So I, I think we do better at that. But you just can't assume that even that the road's going to be there. I mean, you just got to really be careful. You really do. So let we'll move on and yeah. uh, I, let's let's. I want to talk an extent for an extended period of time about COVID, and we'll come back to that in just a second. But you took office in January of 2020. You had a couple of like normal months, <laughs> and then this thing <laughs> called COVID started to become like you know the volume got turned up pretty loud and to the point that it was really really affecting the legislature's ability to do things and changing your focus and whatever. When you look back on this past year and a half you know what what do you think about well first i think about how many people uh, we lost almost eight thousand people died from this and then thousands uh four hundred thousand had this sickness and illness i had it and it was debilitating and it's debilitating for the two weeks that i had it uh but it's also a, a slower recovery And I thought, I think first about the people, and that was driving us in the legislature when we started putting off the session and doing those kinds of things. We're working blind on that, the speaker and I were, but we felt like we wanted to have as least exposure as we could, and we wanted to help as many people as we could as we went through this and Dr. Dobbs and all of that was going on. The second thing is, in some way, I feel robbed a little bit about the things that I wanted to do that were on my agenda that people hired me to do and uh, that I I couldn't get to. Uh, We had this bifurcated session. Uh, We had to go away. Well, first we got in a fight with the governor who was going to spend the money. Then that uh, worked itself out eventually. And then we had a June meeting in which we had to do the budget by June the 30th. But we couldn't do any of the other legislative processes because we couldn't have everybody up here. When we did that, I got COVID. My chief of staff got COVID. Manly Barton almost died. I mean, we had a whole bunch of people who had to get something done in a week or two, and we became a super spreader. So um, that really closed us off again and made us even more aware of all that was going on. We had to come back again at some point in time in September and October and take. We left ourselves open, which we never had in the legislature, to call our own selves back at a later time. So when we came back, we had to address uh, the, the first tranche was like economics for small businesses were failing, uh, health care, uh, some broadband, some other, a lot of different things. Uh, the unemployment compensation, we had 700 million when we started and it went down to like two, 200 million. So we were paying people out. We ended up paying over a billion dollars in unemployment compensation to Mississippians who are out of work. So all of that and refunding that, getting the money back into those different pockets was uh, very hotly debated and we we reached some conclusions. And then we had to come back in October uh, and thank goodness, we pulled some money that wasn't being used and we put $10 million into into building ICU beds, which were built at Singing River Hospital, you're familiar with, and others, these ICU and negative pressure rooms. And so we built those all over the state. Today, every one of them is occupied. So 
we we recognized that things were happening and this was difficult and all of those were built out by I think by the end of the year. So we had a lot of moving parts around the COVID that didn't allow us to address other issues and other things that we wanted, particularly on matters involving education. We did get a teacher pay raise this last year. Uh, the structure for uh, technical training, which Mary Graham and y'all do on the coast so well, but we 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 haven't had a workforce czar be before. We wanted to have one. Now we have one. Mr. Miller is doing that. He he will allocate money out to these in, to these entities that are training. So we had a lot of different things that were going on in addition to COVID. And COVID kept backing off the amount of time that I had to really focus on making sure this was the best it could be. So it, it's almost like a lost year, um, a year I don't ever want to replicate i tell you that well it, just as an observer someone who's observed government work for a long time you know there were there were good moments and bad moments along the way but at, at the yeah. end of the day i would say it's not lost time uh the, the the work that you guys did to keep focus it's almost like the way i describe it it's almost like katrina came and left and it left a mess and we had yeah. years to clean it up this is like COVID is a hurricane that sat on top of us, and it's still sitting on top of us. And it really changes priorities. It changes everything that you do. I think as a general rule, you guys have done a pretty good job of staying on top of the things that really are important. And I know it's got to be frustrating because you have an agenda. You have things you want to you want to focus on, but you're not able to do that because because you've got to shift your focus. And that's I think that's normal in a disaster moment like we're dealing with. Hey, one other thing I want to mention is that you know you were a very successful lawyer. You've been you had been in law for a lot, long time. You understand what it's like to, to, to run a large firm, et cetera. Um, you come into Secretary of State, you do, you do that job uh, very well. And then you become Lieutenant Governor. And, you know, we've always said the Lieutenant Governor of Mississippi is constitutionally strong. Um, the governor in Mississippi is constitutionally weak, actually. And it takes the power of leadership to be a good governor. I would cite, for example, Haley Barber or Phil Bryant. Um, but as you come into this job, I'm just curious. Do you find yourself thinking at times, wow, you know, I've got a lot of responsibility as Lieutenant Governor. You know, I can push things forward. I can stop things. How does, you know, now that you're in the job, is it, has your perception changed about any of that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Short answer is yes. We, um, we watched this from afar. I had an office here for 12 years as Secretary of State. But when I came on to here, the ability to pick your chairman, allocate where the bills go, uh, have uh, dramatic input on the amount of spending that goes on. All of that came on uh, with with COVID was very difficult. I usually try to, to compartmentalize things to make them work in an organized structure. For example, Hey, hey Deborah, we, Deborah, let's yeah. do this. We're coming to the end of this segment. Why don't, for example, we'll pick it up right there because I, okay. I, I have a sense that but this whirlwind of coming into that position and having to put all these obligatory things in place and then having COVID sort of parallel track at the same time, it had to have been overwhelming. But anyway, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Cushio. I have Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman with me. And when we went to the break, we were talking about the responsibilities of the Lieutenant Governor. The point that he was he was making, and I'll let him continue here, was all these committee appointments he had to do. Uh, he had an agenda that he wanted to work on. He, then COVID came on. So you're doing all these parallel tracks of work simultaneously. I don't know how you sort of embodied all that and figured out getting it done. Well, the way that I've, I've done, I'm a tax lawyer, so whatever that means or assets or liabilities, that's kind of the way I've always done it. So we, we try to compartmentalize by, for example, getting our technical board right, raising our teachers' salaries right. We want to do an economic stimulus package for small businesses, and that produces a higher educated, higher waged workforce. Our workforce is 55%. Our labor workforce participation rate, we want to raise that. We want to raise it with high paying jobs, not just a $10 an hour or $12 an hour job. We want to raise it with high rate. So we're very structured. And I came back here just yesterday. Uh, we were working on the fact that, uh, that we've got $1.8 billion to spend of the new money. And so we're hiring people that will accept the applications, grade them. So we come in in January, we can allocate our, our money out to our cities and our counties in a very organized way, as opposed to just whoever knew somebody when they got up here. So we try to do that. It gets disrupted when you have this kind of thing. Our hospitals are just at wit's end. I've been to the ICU labs. Uh, I've been to Singing River, for example. I, I visited with Lee just last week and the other hospital directors. We're losing our nurse workforce. They're exhausted. The economics are horrible. Uh, you know, it's costing five or $10,000 a day to keep, to keep people who may not have any insurance or any ability to pay at all. So it's just a really conundrum. And that has been the major focus for us is how can we address that? And I have some ideas about that, particularly for nurses and for hospitals. Uh, if the governor calls us into a special session, I hope he'll put it on the call so we can address that. If he does not, I, I anticipate addressing it in, in January. So let's do this for a second, because I want to I want to hear your ideas about that. So let's let's I want to make sure that, as I mentioned to you out the air, so when you think about child abuse or a child with cancer, it's hard to contemplate that. It's too often out of sight, out of mind. It's there, but it's hard to contemplate it. It's hard to think about ICU units full of COVID patients on ventilators. You had the opportunity to sp spend time at Singer River. So did I. Then at Ocean Springs, 16 rooms, 16 ventilated uh, uh, patients. And the surgical intensive care, 12 patients, all on ventilators. In the emergency room, three patients. This is when I was there, three patients. And I look back at their most recent data, then they, they hospitalized 133 COVID patients and one day one day. Now, you know what those numbers mean in terms of how many will end up in ICU and potentially how many of those will end up on ventilators. If you have 39 in this particular report, 39 people on ICU, 39 of them on ventilators, you know what the stats are when you when you get on a ventilator. It's not good. I just wanted to share just a couple of quick things with you. The things that I heard from, from nurses while I was there, you heard the same thing. I just want to say it out loud and you can share whatever you heard as well, but that it's a war zone. I, I was really interested to hear uh, nurses in tears telling the story of when you have um, uh, bad situations occur simultaneously and you literally are having to decide which room to rescue. Think about having, as a nurse, having to make that choice. Um, one nurse said that it's like 
it looks heroic, but it, it's not that at all. It's sweaty, it's hard, it's chaotic, it's bloody. One 17-year nurse talked about how uh, burnout is beginning to settle in. And, you know, I could go on and on. Just in Singer River Long, 120 vacancies, nursing vacancies as we speak. And that's not that doesn't account for respiratory therapists and all these other people that are dealing with it. I mean, it is a really tough situation. Like I said, it's like this, this, this uh, storm is sitting on top of us. And while we may peak with Delta and then this fourth wave, COVID hasn't gone anywhere. What's, what's the impact on the healthcare system going forward as we hit another wave and maybe another wave. When you think about all this, uh, there are tactical things we have to do, but there are some really important strategic things we have to do too, isn't there? There are, and there, uh, like I've told you, it's compartmentalized. We have an immediacy problem. That's the economics of uh, nurses being offered $100 an hour somewhere else where we're paying them $30 an hour, and you certainly can't you can't say for that kind of difference in compensation why they wouldn't be attracted to it. So we have an immediacy problem. And my solution to that after talking with Lee and, and the other hospital administrators this last week was to come with a, they're on 12-week patterns, to come with a signing bonus for them to stay and then pay them a significant amount at the end of the 12-week period so that they, they know they're working towards X amount of dollars. They'll stay with us for 12 weeks, they'll get X amount of dollars more, and we discuss the amount of those dollars. And, you know, it's obviously in Mississippi, it would be in the tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars to, to, to go to that. The second part would be the long-term consequences. Now, last month I gave out, I think, 57 scholarships to medical students who have agreed if we pay their medical uh, school expenses, most of them, not all of them, that they will stay in Mississippi for four years in rural Mississippi. So I want to do the same thing for nursing. We will give you credit or we'll pay for part or some or all of your tuition if you'll agree to stay in Mississippi for four years and practice nursing. And that has worked exceptionally well on getting rural uh, areas doctors, and I think it'll work especially well on nurses. It'll tie them to the community for some fixed period of time versus having all this movement in and out. Long term, uh, we can't have anybody further than 25 miles from uh, uh, 25 minutes from our emergency room. That that's got to be part of it. So as we go to look at the uh, aggregation on the coast, you're blessed. You have a number of different ones. Memorial, you got these others. Oshners is uh, in with Hancock, and then under some other uh, sharing arrangements. So you've got that. In rural, rest of rural Mississippi, we don't. And I want to make sure that we do have that. That the same uh, assets that you have are available at least within 20 or 25 minutes of every other person in Mississippi. That doesn't cover the still the primary care portion of this. Now, for whatever reason, we we supersize too much, and we don't hit we don't walk as much as we need to on the beach or whatever. But we we have to get our our people uh, access to primary care and catastrophic care. The primary care would allow us to keep them healthy, working, uh, contributing to the community, paying taxes, and all that other stuff. So we want to we want to keep our people healthy. So that primary care will be part of this. I think the first thing is to get our hospitals, our nurses, our doctors set, and then we need to come and address it. Probably we'll go um, with Senator Black. We'll be holding hearings on this sometime in the next month or two. 
on how we address these other issues that, that come along with healthcare. My primary concern right now is my doctors, my nurses, and my hospitals. I can't agree more. I think that's where the focus really needs to be. I'm, uh, you know, my place is out, up outside of Greenwood, and I know you know leaders in Greenwood really well, and have stayed in touch with them about, for example, the Greenwood Hospital. You know, the rural hospitals were already, you know, really just eking by anyway in normal life without COVID. Right. And you add COVID to that situation, and man, it's a dire situation in our rural areas. And so now, you know, literally every every hospital, whether it's Memorial in Gulfport or Jackson or Singing River or the rural hospitals, they're all challenged dramatically. And it's not like this storm is going to go away. There, there's going to probably be another wave, and we've just got to get better at this. I want to commend you, though, uh, Delbert, because you, too many elected leaders for a period of time were trying to have it both ways on the vaccination. They, you know, they, they're trying to walk around this discussion about vaccination. And my view is sort of playing a little bit to the anti-vax crowd. But the fact is, a lot of the anti-vax crowd, a, a recent uh, study by Kaiser determined that it's, you know, they're acting on misinformation. You know, if you if you give them the right information, you give them the best information, they're usually going to choose to go ahead and get the vaccination. But you have urged people to get the vaccination. And you see that. I mean, that's what that's what we have right now. That's that's the tool we have to combat combat it. Um, what's your evolving thinking about our? Uh, let me just give it, uh, around forty percent vaccinated in Mississippi on the coast is is in the thirties. So it's really not good. It's not, and I um, you have to look at this. Well, first of all, I had COVID, so that was my come to Jesus meeting. When I had it right. myself, right. I realized what it meant, and I couldn't walk a hundred steps and. Uh, very difficult, and we may have had another result pretty easily, quite frankly. So that that drove me to talk about yourself, of course, your family, your fellow citizens. When you when you expose yourself to that, you expose a lot of other people in your church and these other those all all come with that that particular exposure. The second thing is to watch our people in these ICU beds. Basically, you're right when you go on a ventilator. Uh, your chances are less than 50-50 of coming off of it. And basically, you suffocate to death. And when you've got health care providers, there may be people who shouldn't take the vaccine. I think every individual needs to look at their health care provider, but not at a at a screen with green dots. The health care provider cares if you live or not. They, uh, they, the Internet doesn't give a damn whether you die or not. So I, I would encourage people to take a look at their own health care providers, follow the logical part. It's been approved by, by the national group now, that Pfizer has anyway. And I just really, it's hard for me to see my people suffering and dying when they don't have to. Right. We just, we That's just the buried, issue. Uh, one of my friends, a lawyer from over in Vicksburg, who didn't get vaccinated, and he just died. Great guy, mm -hmm. prime of life, uh, children, grandchildren. I, I just, if you don't have to have that happen, please, please do that. Then, then getting away from the human side, Ricky, how, how am I supposed to sell Mississippi for people to come here as the least vaccinated state? What are the economics of that? The personal right. economics, if you go in the hospital, it's $5,000 a day or whatever. How are you going to pay that? But in the big picture, how am I going to attract people to come to my state when I have that kind of uh, reputation? So it's, I, it's tough. It's it tough. Works. It's very difficult. And I just, our people are the most generous 
most religious on the Gulf Coast, uh, everywhere. And yet we seem to want to ignore how much we care about each other in a hurricane or something. Everybody shows up. Somebody gets sick. You bring food. They drive the kids to school. We got a great group of people. And so why how can we then ignore getting a free vaccine so we get one of my buddies sick or my uh, family members, my wife? It just doesn't make it. It doesn't compute to me. We're going to continue to focus on it. We're out of time, uh, Delbert. Let's do this. We'll come back together again in a couple of weeks, see how things are going, see what your perspective is on the situation. Um, I've really enjoyed you taking a few minutes to visit with me this, today. Oh, I appreciate it. I love the coast. And I miss being down there as much as I'd like to. I, I know we're struggling a little bit now, but we have better days coming. And I'm, I'm excited about the future possibilities and the growth potential, particularly on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I am too. And God bless you, my friend. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Yes, sir. We'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.